Hello, I'm Peter Hayward and today I'm speaking to Manon Raganay Cronin from the Department of Medicine, University of California, San Diego. I'm talking to her about her research that's published in the June issue of The Lancet HIV. The paper's called Non-Disclosed Men Who Have Sex With Men in the UK, HIV Transmission Networks, a Phylogenetic Analysis of Surveillance Data. So Manon, your study uses data from the UK HIV Drug Resistance Database. Can you tell us a little bit about this database? Who runs it and what sort of data it contains? So the UK HIV Drug Resistance Database is a national central repository um, for resistance tests. So when patients are diagnosed with HIV, their virus is sequenced in order to look at whether they already have some drug-resistant mutations because some people are infected with strains of HIV that are already resistant to some drugs. So for every new patient, the virus is sequenced um, and the drug regimens are tailored accordingly, but also those sequences are deposited in, um, in this database. So it was set up in 2001, um, and now by the end of 2016, it had over 135,000 tests from over 95,000 unique individuals. It's coordinated by University of College London, um, with funding mostly from the Medical Research Council. Um, and then a lot of the data that we have that's, that's not the sequence data, which is the demographic, um, so that would be age, sex, risk group, and the clinical data, which is uh, viral loads and CD4 counts. Those are actually held in two other databases, the UK Collaborative HIV Cohort Study, um, UK Chic, and the National HIV AIDS Reporting System, which is held at Public Health England. And so for the data that I uh, use is actually... Um, concatenated from those three sources. So in the study you link together connected cases of HIV. How do you go about doing this? So all of our analysis is done on the HIV genetic sequences. So each person who has HIV has a slightly different version of the virus and if one person transmits to another then their viruses are going to be more closely related than two viruses taken at random in the population. So what we do is that we take all of the viruses, um, the virus sequences, from the database and we reconstruct the evolutionary relationships between them. Um, and the diagrams that we create, they're called phylogenies or phylogenetic trees. And um, these phylogenies actually have a time component to them because we know when the viruses were sampled. And so we reconstruct the phylogeny through time. And for each pair of sequences, we then know what the time to their common ancestor was. And in a virus phylogeny like HIV, for, for two individuals um, who, for whom we have sequences, the time to the ancestor is actually an estimate of the timing of the transmission event between those individuals. Now, bear in mind, lots of those transmission events are not going to be direct, but uh, it is the timing of the transmission event. And so we build the trees through time, and then individuals are linked together in the network if they have a common ancestor uh, within a specified amount of time. So in our study, we used five years. So if two individuals had a common ancestor of their virus sequences within five years, um, we linked them together in the network. So that sort of pulls together um, clusters of people within this network. And uh, by identifying these clusters of people who have similar viruses, you're saying that there's a connection between them. Can you confidently draw any conclusions about transmission in these cases? That's a really good point and really central to doing uh, these types of analyses in HIV phylogenetics. Based on genetic sequence alone, you cannot conclude that two individuals are linked by a transmission event because you could always be missing an unsampled intermediary. 
And in fact, the network reconstruction method um, that we use, it creates far more links in the network than there has been transmission events. Because if you had lots of people who infected each other within a time period of five years, which happens often, um, all of those people will actually be linked together in, in the transmission network. So you cannot tell the direction of the transmission events. You can't tell which of those transmission events are, are direct transmissions and when, which went through another person. And you can't tell if you might be missing people altogether. Your study also identifies this group of people called potential non-disclosed men who have sex with men, or MSM, among the HIV patients. Can you explain what that term means and, and how you identify these people? So non-disclosed um, men who have sex with men would be men who identify themselves to their doctor as being heterosexual men, but who actually have sex with men. In our analysis, um, it's based on HIV transmission, so they're people who say that their HIV transmission risk was heterosexual or they don't disclose their um, HIV transmission risk, um, but Based on their genetic sequences, it looks like they only link to MSM. So we identify them based on their position in the network. Their HIV genetic sequence links only to other men's in the genetic network, and so it looks like they might have been infected through sex with men. But is it possible that people who openly acknowledge bisexual behaviour and, and women are the links between the so-called potentially non-disclosed MSM and the MSM? The potential non-disclosed MSM um, cannot be bisexual men. They haven't no. disclosed bisexual behavior because actually men who disclose bisexual behavior go into the database as men who have sex with men um, because sex between men is considered such a higher risk factor than um, heterosexual sex. So in general, if someone discloses bisexual behavior, it's going to be presumed that they were infected through sex with men and they go into the database as MSM. So none of the men in our study who we suggest the potential non-disclosed MSM have disclosed sex with men as a risk. Either they've not given a risk at all or they've said that they're heterosexual. In answer to whether uh, women could be the link, um, as I said before, there's always a risk that we have unsampled intermediaries in our transmission networks. Um, but actually, among heterosexuals, diagnosis rates are higher among women than among men. Um, so in general, in networks, it tends to be heterosexual men that we're missing. Um, and that's not actually just in the UK, it's everywhere in the world um, women get tested and diagnosed sooner. So based on that knowledge of the UK epidemic, of course there might be some um, incidents where the men that we're classifying as potential non-disclosed MSM could have been having sex with women and those women haven't been sampled, but that's not going to account for the majority of what we're seeing. Is it possible to quantify the contribution of potential non-disclosed MSM to the HIV epidemic in the UK? Our study didn't set out to do that, um, so I don't think we should draw too grand of a conclusion from uh, our results. But based on our results, the crossover strains from uh, men who have sex with men through non-disclosed MSM and to heterosexual women was very limited. Um, and I think that this is confirmed by some modeling studies that were done in the US trying to quantify the impact of bridging on the heterosexual epidemic. Um, they also found that it was limited. But I think that if you really wanted to, to quantify the contribution in the UK epidemic, you'd have to do a separate analysis that that was the focus of. Okay. And then just uh, finally, what do you feel your findings mean for efforts to control HIV in the UK in terms of both treatment and prevention? Yeah, I think that what it really means is that we have this risk group 
whom at the moment we might not be sufficiently tailoring prevention messages towards. Because if this, these men aren't going to gay clubs or to sexual health clinics, they might be missing a lot of the messaging we have directed towards gay men. So we really need to think about how we can make sure they see prevention messages um, and also that they feel represented in the prevention campaigns. Another really important point uh, from my perspective is that this study points towards a way that phylogenetics could be used to guide partner services interviews because if a man who reports his risk as heterosexual is diagnosed and then we see that his virus links only to other men in the database, then we could tailor partner services um, towards asking him about relationships with men even if he isn't inclined to disclose them. Um, at the moment, this isn't done at all in the UK. There's no intervention that's based on the network or based on how it relates to other people's viruses. Um, but this concept is the one of real-time HIV phylogenetics, where we'd be able to use the, the viruses to really guide interventions in real time. And the ethics of it still really have to be worked out. Um, but it's definitely something that people are thinking about. Is that a real possibility, using these sort of real-time phylogenies as a way of looking at cases? Absolutely. Um, real-time phylogenetics is uh, really hot at the moment. Um, in the UK, it's not happening at all, and the entire the UK HIV drug resistance database is unlinked completely and cannot be relinked to any individual data. So all of the analyses that are done are completely anonymized. Um, but now I work in the US. Um, in the US, we collaborate with departments of public health. Um, even though the uh, data that we analyze is anonymous, um, they can relink it, and um, it is being used uh, right now to, to guide interventions in New York City in particular. They're really at the forefront of this, of using all of the analysis of the genetic network to select who gets uh, kind of enhanced partner services and interviews and that kind of thing. Well, thank you very much for that. That was great. So that concludes our podcast for June. I do hope that you will take a look at this paper and the other articles, features and reviews in the current issue. And join us again in the future for another foray into the journal content next month.